I want you to go to the beginning of Luke because Christmas is coming, isn't it? Who's excited because Christmas is coming? I'm excited. I love Christmas. I've started my Christmas jigsaw, reading my Christmas book, you know. Um, can't quite get at the Christmas cake yet, but I've, I haven't found out where she's hidden it. But I'm, I'm looking forward to Christmas. We've got the tree up. I was playing, you know, I was playing carols in November, I have to admit. I got told off for it, but I was doing it. You know, any man should be allowed to play what he wants in his own car, do you not think? Yeah, even if it's Christmas carols. Okay, so let, let's let's go here. So I felt God will need to look at this this morning. I'm not quite sure where we're going to go with this. Yeah, yeah, that's confidence in your pastor, isn't it? He hasn't a clue what he's doing. No, I'm waiting on the Holy Spirit. He told me he was going to talk about this this morning. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I want you to listen to this because it's really easy when we have a familiar passage just to skim it, just to like gloss over it. You know, I heard that in nativities when I was six. The angel Gabriel was sent to a city by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered, What manner of greeting is this? Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now, they're familiar words to us, aren't they? But that must have been like, what a shock to her. She opens the door, there's an angel stood there, she's betrothed to marry Joseph, she's just getting on with life, suddenly there's this huge angel called Gabriel, and he says, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a kid, and he's, he, you're going to call him Jesus. And he's going to be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. If that had been me, I wouldn't have reacted like this. But Mary said, how's that going to happen? Because I don't know a man yet. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So not only are you going to have a baby who's going to be great, he's actually the Son of God, Mary. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who's called barren. With God, nothing is impossible. And Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What's so astonishing about that? Well, we focus on the fact that Mary was a virgin and that the Holy Spirit uh, overshadowed her, and uh, Jesus was born. Okay, so we that that's what we think is amazing. Here's what's amazing that 
for 420 years, nobody in Israel had heard a peep out of God. Absolute silence. And so they were kind of like reworking all their theology about the Messiah and why he hadn't come. Because suddenly all the prophets stopped. No, no new Bible being written, no new scriptures, no prophets coming in telling them what to do. And 420 years of silence. And Mary opens her door and the silence is broken because there's an angel there. The first angel in 420 years plus. So what's going on? Why, why is that? You see, one of the things we can think is, well, Jesus said he was coming back, but he hasn't come yet, so it's not going to happen. Well, here's, here's the truth. The Bible tells us that's exactly what people will be saying when he comes back. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? The, the Bible prophesies, God prophesies something, and the words are written down in the Bible, and then later it comes to pass. And so Israel had been waiting for a Messiah, and obviously it, lots of things had happened to Israel, had been in exile, it, some of the, the tribes had returned to Israel, but 420 years had passed, and there had been absolute silence, and then suddenly the silence is broken. That 420 years is about, well, to all intents, as far as we can tell, it's exactly the same length of time as Israel was in slavery in Egypt. So you've got 420, 430 years of slavery in Egypt when God intervened to set people free to set Israel free from that slavery, that, that, that captivity to, to the Egyptian pharaoh. And now you've got another 420 year gap and Jesus is sending the one who will set people free from their sins. Set free from the captivity of sin. God kind of works in patterns. So what's happening in 420 years? Why did God wait 420 years for something to happen? Because we just want God to get on with it, don't we? I want him to come back right now, this afternoon, even before I've made my roast dinner, because that would be cool. That, that would be like everything. It would be the end of... Um, you know, all the things that we've hoped for will come to fullness. And yet God has a timing. He has a time scale. So what's happened in the 420 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of New? Well, lots of things have happened. But here's the point. Sorry, this is all from the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to hang on. This is, this is the point. The point is... That there was prophecies that had to be fulfilled before Jesus would come back. And you're going, well, where are those prophecies? Where are those prophecies? Why? Because nothing seems to have happened for 420 years. Well, here's the prophecy. In the book of Daniel, which we studied a lot on earlier in the year, in the book of Daniel, there's a prophecy called Daniel's 70 weeks. And that pinpoints the exact time 
that the Messiah will come to earth. Get that? So for, and those, those 70 weeks, oh, it's called 70 weeks, it's 70 lots of seven years. It's, it's groups of seven. It's, we translate it sometimes as weeks, but it's groups of seven. It's groups of seven years. So it was meant to tell Israel exactly when the Messiah was going to come to earth. It's written down in Daniel 420 years earlier. And he said, before he comes, two great empires are going to rise. And the first one is going to rise and it's going to be on the back of one incredible man. And it's going to be the Greek empire. Now, there is no Greek empire. There's no Greece at this time. And he, and he says there's going to be an empire led by one man. And it's going, to, it's going to be bigger than any empire before. But that empire will fall and be replaced with another empire which will be greater still. And that empire will be Rome. They don't exist when those prophecies are written. Greece didn't exist. Alexander the Great was born in a place called Macedonia, which was kind of the north of Greece. And he created the country of Greece by conquering it. And yet it's in Daniel. Isn't that bizarre? Isn't that interesting? It's at least interesting, isn't it, that you could write about something that's not going to happen for 420 years. So what's happened? The clock runs. The Greek Empire rises. Alexander the Great falls. The Greek Empire disintegrates. Rome takes over and the time comes for the visitation of the Messiah. Jesus is there. And Mary opens the door and it's zero hour. There he is. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Doesn't sound very Christmassy this, does it? But we have to we have to understand that Christmas is a few days in God's plan. Jesus had to come to a manger. But ultimately, he'd die on a cross. So we've got, we've got this gap, but we've also got a, a timing. And you know, when Jesus, uh, just before looking ahead, when Jesus rides into um, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, you can see this in, in Luke chapter 19, he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, which, by the way, was prophesied hundreds of years before, that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. So he rides into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and he says something which is hugely significant. He says, I'm here, and if you had known the importance of who I am and that I am the one who is going to bring you life, you would have behaved differently. You would have reacted differently, but you weren't looking. You weren't watching. You weren't thinking about it. You were off doing all your stuff. You were living your life, and you weren't watching. And Jesus says, because you missed the day of your visitation, this city will now fall. The prophecy was that Jesus would ride in and he would bless the nation, but they weren't ready for him. They weren't waiting for him and they rejected him. And because of that, the destruction of Jerusalem took place. 
Why? Because they should have known. They should have known. And might not, and, and when, when this happens to Mary, they should have all been watching. Do you remember that when the, the wise men come, and they, they come looking, they follow the star, they come looking for Jesus, the, the baby, and they come looking for him, and what happens? It sparks Herod off, and he asks all these wise men, where's the baby going to be? And they go, uh, we don't really know. And then eventually they come up with, ah, Bethlehem. It's written in their own scriptures. Why weren't they at Bethlehem? On the day that they should have been at Bethlehem when Jesus is there. Why weren't they there? Because they missed the day of their visitation. Because they were too busy, didn't think it mattered, didn't think it was important, and didn't think that, that, that it was ever going to happen. And they missed it. And you know, so many times now, so many people are going to miss it this time. The word says it's given what to man wants to live and then the judgment. Jesus is coming back. And the, the way he, he gives us this incredible offer now, which is that we can enter into eternal life with him. And eternal life's not something that you just get when you're dead. Eternal life means starting right here, right now, you can get to know Jesus. He will come, he will give you new life through the Holy Spirit. You'll be born again. He will come. And he'll give you new life and he'll give you the ability to know him. And he's saying, don't waste it. Don't miss the day of your visitation. Don't miss what I'm saying to you. As, as individuals, as a church, don't miss what I'm saying to you. This, this is available to you right now. But don't, you know, these guys, they, 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 they missed it. And Mary, what was special about Mary? Well, Roger said, I said to that, that was my uh, two lines before the service, which is, don't miss the day of your visitation and what's so special about Mary. And Roger said he's got a, a Catholic friend who could tell me what's so special about Mary at great length. But he, here's the thing. Let me tell you a little bit about Mary. The, this girl who opened the door and the angel was there. And she invited him in. Mary was somewhere between 14 and 15 years old when she gave birth to Jesus. Uh, boys and girls got betrothed young in those days. And what we know about Mary, we, we know a lot about her from different writings at the time and, and stuff that the, the early church people wrote down but one thing that we do know about her is that she had a really hard life for those 14 or 15 years as did everybody she wasn't rich she wasn't of any great standing she wasn't powerful she didn't come from a top family she didn't come from a family that was in government or in business or anything like that she came from a really hard background, and 
at that time, people used to live in like these extended family units. And, and they all used to give, live together in one or two rooms around a courtyard. I don't, I don't, it, it's kind of like that when you go into the gypsy camps in, in Bulgaria. Like there's breeze block walls, corrugated tin roofs, one room, mud floor, and that's how they live. Whether it's plus 30 degrees or minus 15 degrees, that's how they live. And that's why we help them. And, you know, lots of the families used to gather together and work around a shared oven, shared toilet, shared everything. And Mary herself, at the age of 14, was probably working somewhere between 10 and 14 hours a day just on all the chores of keeping family life going as part of that family unit. There was nothing special about her life. Nothing special at that point. She had elderly parents. Those parents weren't rich. They, they were uh, struggling. They had no social standing. She had a, a very ordinary, minimal education. She was betrothed to a carpenter, which wasn't very profitable. You know, we kind of like think wonderful he was a carpenter. Have you ever thought what it's like to be in a, carp in a carpenter in a country that doesn't have much wood? More, nearly everything avoided using wood because they didn't have any. So, so he, he, he kind of scraped a living together. And then it's Mary. Here's the point that I'm making. She had nothing of note in the world's eyes. You know, we, th we all think, well, she must have been amazing, you know, fantastic. Something special about her because God picked her. She had nothing of note in the world's eyes. But she had everything of note in God's eyes. So don't you want to know what it was that she had and, and why he did pick her? Why did he pick an ordinary girl? You see, one of the things that Mary's parents, and we know this from, from the writings of the time, one of the things that Mary's parents did is, just like uh, Hannah dedicated Samuel, Mary's parents had dedicated their baby, Mary, to God. And so they, they brought her up with that knowledge. And they said, we don't know what it is, but we gave you to God and he's got something for you. So the step is, I give myself to God. If I give myself to God, in God's eyes, I move from being ordinary to being extraordinary. Because most people want to keep themselves for themselves and live the life how they want to live it. And yet God says, if you'll give it to me, I'll make it something extraordinary. I'll take all that yuck out and I'll put life in. But you need to give your life to me. You know, one of the things that I think um, is so encouraging is when we do a baby dedication, is that we do, we're doing that. You see, it's so easy, isn't it, to go through the motions of life. Christenings, baby dedications, baptisms, weddings, funerals, 
all the rest of it. And it's like they don't matter. But they do. They matter immensely. If they mean to you what they were supposed to mean. Which is, I give, I dedicate my child to God. Which means, I'm hoping God is going to help me with this and do something with this life that I couldn't do. But it only works when we've given ourselves to God. Not just in words, like, Jesus, I believe in you so I can go to heaven. So that's kind of cool. I'll go to church most Sundays. And, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be enthusiastic when I'm there. That's, that's not what it's about. But that's why we, we do baby dedications, because we believe it's important, it's significant, that a life that is given, God will change and turn from ordinary to extraordinary. You see, there's a pattern in, in the way God works. God initiates. I didn't find God. Nobody in this room found God. He came calling. And right now, he's calling whoever's hearing this and whoever's going to hear this. Whether they're, they're live now or they're watching it during the week or you're in this room. And he's calling and he's saying, don't miss the day of your visitation. Don't miss the day that I came calling and asked, will you give me your life? And if you'll give me your life, I'll give you mine. That's God with an offer. I'll put my life in you. I'll forgive you of, of what you've done wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll give you new life, new birth, and I'll turn your ordinary life to extraordinary because I've got a plan for you. And he holds out that offer. And he's saying, but don't miss the day of your visitation. Not like these guys did. Don't miss it. You see, God initiates. But God initiating isn't enough. We need to respond. You actually have to do something with the offer. It doesn't work automatically. It's not like God initiates and we're all okay. No, you have to respond. Like just like Mary did. And if you'll respond, then God will respond and he'll display his power through your life. So God initiates, we respond, God responds to our response and displays his power in response to our response. Say that quickly 13 times. So what's special about Mary? Yeah, she was an ordinary person who her parents dedicated to God. And God took that 
and said, I'm going to make it an extraordinary life. But that's apart from Mary, isn't it? She, yes, she grew up knowing that, and yes, she grew up living in the light of that. But she still had to decide for herself. And God initiates. An angel turns up, breaks the silence of 420 years and said, Hi, the Messiah's coming. By the way, he's your kid. She's betrothed to Joseph and the whole world is going to think she's been seeing somebody else. So what does she say? She says, I'll do it. I, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I give you my life. It's yours to use. What's special about Mary? Surrender. She surrendered her life and gave it to God. Cheryl and I were having this I guess discussion, we have like rambling conversations that go on for hours. So we'll call it a discussion. It involves waiters, trips and all sorts of things, but we chat all the time. And so we're having this discussion and, and one of the things is, I've realized just from looking at all the stuff that's out there, like on social media and Facebook and books and YouTubes and sermons and talks and all that sort of stuff that, guys, we are arguing about minutiae. And we, we're kicking each other about minutiae. We have, like, micro-fine definitions of you. Have you got exactly the same definition as grace as I've got the exactly same definition of grace? Because if you haven't, you'll be wrong. And everybody's wrong. Because <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> The gospel is incredibly simple. It's gloriously simple. But our flesh hates it. You want to do you want me to tell you the simplicity of the gospel? Cut through all the arguments about what verse 16 of whatever meant. This Christmas the gospel is simple. It's about a God who so loved the world that he gave his son to come into this world in human form. Why? Because we could not save ourselves. Israel had tried for thousands of years to keep the rules and it couldn't do it. Why? Because the rules made them a bit better, but it didn't change them. So God said, right, here's what we're going to do. And we decided this before we ever started this creation thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go. We're going to die. We're going to pay the price of everything that anybody has ever done wrong. And then we're going to make an offer. And the offer's a simple one. Do you want the new life that I give? And everybody will say, 
course I do. Because that's the obvious thing, isn't it? Our flesh likes that. I want to be better than I am. Who wants to be better than you are? I want to be better than I am. So I'll put my hand up for being better than I am. Here's the catch. It only applies to those who make Jesus Lord of their life. Well, I can say the prayer. No, I didn't say say the prayer. Well, I believe Jesus is Lord of my life. No, I didn't ask you to believe it. I asked you to make him Lord of your life. Is he really Lord of your life? That's how it works. We, we forgot the simplicity of that. We'd rather argue about me and you, Shai, than face the question, is he the one I love with all my heart, all my strength, all my soul and all my mind? And I have no other gods but him. Especially that God that gets in the way all the time called me. That's, that's, that's the gospel. It requires us to make Jesus Lord. Right, okay, so I've done that. So I make Jesus Lord. What happens now? Well, he's going to talk to you. How does that work? Well, you've got this. You've got the Holy Spirit. And when you pray, he's going to tell you what Jesus is saying. So how cool is that? Now what do I do? Well, you do what he tells you to do. Why? I don't want to do what he tells me to do. Is Jesus Lord of your life? All we do is give our life to Jesus and then do what he told us, tells us to do. Straight away, without question. It cuts through all this stuff like, do I believe, do I want to believe, have I got enough faith, have I not got enough faith, whatever, 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 whatever. Just talk to Jesus, spend time with Jesus. You see, the angel Gabriel didn't tell, come to tell Mary she was going to have a baby who would die on the cross and he'd disappear for 2,000 years and we'd never hear again. And then suddenly he'd be back. The angel Gabriel came to tell Mary that one was going to come who was going to invite them into a relationship with Jesus starting right there, right then, as soon as you give your life to him. That's real. It's real. And that same Jesus, that one that Gabriel told Mary she was going to give birth to, he's coming back. You see, just like those prophecies needed to unravel and open up before Gabriel could turn up at Mary's door, there's been another clock running. And that clock is almost up. Anybody who looks at any of these things will go, there is some really crazy stuff in this world. Did you know that Jesus said, just before he comes back, that there would be plagues across the earth. There would be really weird things happening with the climate. 
there'd be wars all over the place. What have we had in our generation? Like, do you not? Do we not get it? I don't. I don't understand why people aren't going. Okay, well, this could be it. When you have a nation that says you are not allowed to shop if you are not vaccinated, where are we stopping? I'm not making any comment on vaccination. No, I'm vaccinated. But that's not the point. My, the, my point is, if I can't live my life if I'm not, and you're telling me I can't shop and I can't provide for my kids, then we have a short step away from the one who comes and tells us everything we're allowed to do. I'm not saying this is it. But what I'm saying is, if you had said that these things would happen five years ago and governments would be able to effectively lock people in their own home if they will not take a vaccine in their arm, how big a step now is it until we welcome the Antichrist? See, the world doesn't come and get to a place where, where this dictator turns up and takes ruthless power. What the Bible tells us is the world welcomes him with open arms because that's how the world thinks. And just like when this, this angel appeared to Mary and she did not miss the day of her visitation, but everybody else did, but she surrendered to him. Right now, Jesus is saying, do not miss the day of your visitation. Do not miss the, the, the opportunity I hold out to you because time is short. Time is short. And if you miss it, there's not any more time left. Don't miss what Spirit's saying to us. I believe the Holy Spirit is calling back his church and saying, there's one command I want you to follow, and that's I want you to make God number one. And love him with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and all your soul. Love him above yourself yourself has become an idol. So if you're here today, or you're online, or you're watching this at a later time, I'm going to ask you not to miss the day of your visitation. I'm going to ask you to make Jesus Lord of your life right now. Can we all stand? Jesus. So if, if you want to say, if you want to do that, you just say this prayer with me. In fact, everybody say it. Anyway, but if you really want to say it, I want you to say, you need to say this out loud. But everybody else will drown it for you. 
So follow me. Jesus, I recognize that I don't love you with all of my heart and all of my soul. You're very quiet. You can say it louder than that. Don't say that. <laughs> that I don't love you with everything that I am. And I have made an idol of my life. So I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to change me. I ask you to give me new life through your spirit. That I might be born again. And I choose right now to make you Lord of my life. To follow you. To seek your voice. And do what you ask. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to hear my prayer. Amen. So if you said that, if you said that prayer and you're saying it for the first time or you are uh, renewing something you said years ago and you've fallen away from, then I, w I want to know or you need to tell somebody that you're with and you need to plant yourself in a church. You need to plant yourself in a church. And so I'm asking you to do that, but I'm also asking you to, to let us know. Uh, you can email it, office at faithlifechurch.org.uk, or you can respond on the Facebook. And let us know, because we'd like to help you. We'd like to get some resource to you. We'd like to um, encourage you, and we'd like to celebrate with you. It really is all about Jesus. This Christmas season really is all about him. And despite every attempt to take his name out of it, it's still Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everybody. We're in the Christmas season, not the holiday season. <laughs>